my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, I was joined by uh, my friend Brad Devlin today. It's always a good time talking to Brad. Um, but do I even need to preface what I talked about on the podcast today? You guys know what we're talking about. <laughs> Come on. If you don't know what we talked about on the podcast today, you've obviously just been living in a cave for the last couple months. Uh, you guys know the drill. You guys know the drill. Before I uh, get into all of the coronavirus talk, I want to say hi to our friends over at Man Beard Company. Gentlemen, I have an idea. Uh, we're all uh, quarantined in our homes for the next you know, few weeks, month, couple months. Who knows? We're all practicing social distancing. At least uh, I, I hope you are. Uh, you obviously should be. I have an idea. How about for the next month or so, we all put down the razors and walk away? No shaving. Don't do it. Put it down. Just say no to the razor. Let's all grow kick-ass beards when we're quarantined in our homes. How about that? And once you grow a beard, you need to pick up the very best beard oil on the market. Of course, I'm talking about Man Beard Company. Man Beard Company beard oils have the appropriate amount of fatty acids, vitamin E, and vitamin A to keep your beard in great shape. Uh, just after a few days of using this beard oil, you'll notice the difference. Uh, your beard will smell great, look great. It promotes even uh, beard growth. It's not oily, not greasy at all, really. The Man Beard Company beard oils are the best beard oils I've ever used in my life. Uh, check them out over at manbeardco.com. That is manbeardco.com. Use the promo code NOGIMMICKS. That is, once again, the promo code NOGIMMICKS for a great deal on your order of beard oil. Punch the bear, tame the beard. Man Beard Company, check them out. And guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Brad Devlin. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my friend Brad Devlin, host of Elephant in the Room podcast. Brad, my friend, how are you doing? Hey, Brady, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right into uh, coronavirus talk. But before we get to uh, like the, the latest news, I can't help but blast the press a little bit. That's kind of what I do on the show. I can't help myself. Um, so look, man, like we are in the middle of a legitimate emergency, uh, a real crisis, an actual matter of life and death. How stupid does the press look right now that the American public can see what an emergency actually looks like? I mean, look, in January, Trump started World War III. Last summer, Trump murdered every single Kurdish man, woman, and child in the great Kurdish genocide of 2019, right? Like, so everything is, is a crisis, and Trump is always Hitler. I mean, how stupid do these, these clowns look now that we actually see what an emergency is? Well, as a as a fellow podcaster who prides himself in bashing the media habitually, um, yeah, it's definitely time to go after him. And I think Trump is is getting after him as well. Um, obviously, super interesting developments coming out of China yesterday um, with suspending the uh, 
the press license for Washington Post, Washington Journal, New York Times, and other American outlets that said we're engaging in a campaign of ideologically biased fake news, which is like, well, eh, if my ideological bias is going to be against a authoritarian dictatorship, then uh, <laughs> I'm definitely for that. Right. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely uh, unreal to see their reaction to the, the Trump administration. I mean, a lot of these attacks on Trump, right? Yes, the CDC testing was botched in the orig- in the beginning. Yes, Trump sped a lo- spread a lot of disinformation about how the federal government was dealing with the coronavirus, the realities of finding a vaccine for the coronavirus. But that being said, the, the disingenuous attacks on the president where he's – clearly taking decisive action and he took it very early on remember barack obama didn't suspend uh travel uh to certain countries affected by h1n1 until october um of that year and and it the virus or the uh new emerging disease only came about i believe in early summer so trump took very decisive action early on by suspending travel from china of course exceptions existed for american citizens returning home and the like and now he's done the same thing thing in Europe. Um, furthermore, you see another disingenuous attack saying that Trump got rid of the White House office in charge of handling pandemics like this. Well, one, there's <laughs> there's a task force that has been appointed to deal with that. I mean, this is a very ad hoc uh, foreign po- This is a very ad hoc global emergency, not just the U.S. foreign policy or U.S. Um, U.S. health emergency. Uh, so he's created a task for that. Furthermore, uh, you know, this mo- mostly comes out of uh, one of the members of the Obama administration saying that her post was gotten rid of uh, under the Trump administration, and that necessarily isn't true. Maybe her post got rid of – maybe they got rid of her post within that office, but that office uh, is very much alive today in the National Security Council. Because there's members at the Hoover Institute over in Washington, D.C. that actually <laughs> held the same position um, that the media is claiming uh, the Trump administration got rid of. And that guy's just screaming, saying, hello, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm working this job. I did that job. I'm now working at the Hoover Institute. Someone came in after me. Uh, Trump isn't in the dark about all these things. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been super interesting to watch how disingenuous uh, the media is, even when the president, um, who is apparently the ultimate enemy of the people um is is defending them in places like china right and that's absolutely right and the thing is the troubling thing is aside from like you said the disingenuous attacks on the president which is to be expected that's just what the press does but other than that the press is covering this crisis just fine right they i mean they're 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 treating it with the seriousness it deserves but i i just worry that the press has cried wolf too many times man and that people won't believe them this time, that we are in a real emergency, which we are, okay? Like, I know people personally who are not taking this seriously, who think it's ginned up by the press, and that's because the press, like I said, the press is covering the coronavirus correctly, but they covered net neutrality the same way they're covering this pandemic. Heck, they they covered Trump reducing the top marginal tax rate from 39% to 35%, the same way they're covering this pandemic, right? Yep. Like everything. They've been dialed up to 11 on everything for three and a half years. And I'm just afraid, like, I'm afraid the press is going to get people killed because they've just cried wolf so many times that they've lost all credibility with a lot of Americans. I think that's absolutely right. And it's funny, in 2017, I wrote an article for Lone Conservative titled uh, 
10 times Republicans killed everyone in 2017. I mean, this is a longstanding phenomenon of the press of making false crises. Um, the coronavirus isn't one of them. Um, I will push back on the the let's say the scientific reporting has been quite has been quite good from the mainstream media. Right. Um, but the mainstream media aren't necessarily focusing on that as much as they are focusing on the president's messaging, which does deserve scrutiny. I'm not I'm not as I said, my the first thing I said on your show, you know, the, the president has definitely spread his own version of disinformation um, when it comes to the coronavirus, whether that's to quell public panic or whether it was to help his reelection campaign. Obviously, we can't get <laughs> getting into the mind of Trump um, is the hardest thing that you and I have to do on a daily basis. Yeah, and don't don't try. No it. one don't try it. Yeah, no one ever does it correctly. Um, that being said, they've ne they've they shifted the narrative from the narrative that they should be spreading. Right, the sign scientific dangers that the public should have access to, needs to have access to, to having a stupid debate over xenophobia and racism by calling it the Chinese Wuhan virus. The only reason <laughs> this is a global pandemic right now is the failure of the collectivists in China. That's the only reason that this is a global pandemic right now. I mean, <laughs> if God rest his soul, that poor doctor who found coronavirus in China and they basically killed him. That's Basically right. what they did, they, they shut him up and they said, you you go quarantine yourself and you're going to die. We're not going to give you any assistance. And and that's the origins of this of this pandemic. It's it's the failures of the communist state of China that even though they've been opening themselves up economically, they're still heavily collectivized uh, politically and capitalism in China. It's it's much more of a learned state state controlled experience still people yes they've made market reforms um, that have been very beneficial to the Chinese people uh, yes they've made market reforms that have been very beneficial to the world largely but at the end of the day it's not the type of capitalist freedom that you and I are used to that we are just simply acting on the rights that we've been endowed by our creator and have been recognized and secured by the US government this is a very very different animal and it's being shown to bear throughout this entire crisis and the media should be ashamed of themselves for focusing on the fact that people are calling it the Wuhan coronavirus because people eat bats there. Um, <laughs> rather, um, you know, having that debate rather than giving the public the information of the need. And, I, and as far as you said uh, about your friends who aren't taking it seriously, I mean, look at look at my generation. I mean, people are still spring breaking. Are you out of your bleeping minds? I mean, I just That's got insane. home from I just got home from Berkeley on Monday. I was supposed to leave. Actually, I was supposed to be on the road right now on Wednesday, but obviously the shutdowns in the bay area um caused me to to move up that timeline quite a bit and and quickly and when i got home you know i didn't i didn't hug my grandmother went and took a shower i still still haven't hugged my grandmother since i got home i mean it it takes sacrifice from people and i don't see my generation willing to make that sacrifice um and and i implore them to and, and implore them to get educated on this on this crisis because it's going to change the way that we think about economics culture and environmentalism, um, uh, biology's interaction with the economy for years to come. I mean, this is going to influence academia like the 2008 global recession. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think you're correct. And and you you see the pictures coming out of Florida right now in Louisiana, Southern California, people spring breaking and crowding together on beaches and stuff. It's like, guys, come on, give me a break. And people don't realize, uh, especially among young people, 
there's a large percentage of people that are carriers of this virus that are asymptomatic the entire time they're infected. Okay, like you may never, if you're young and healthy, you know, usually uh, coronavirus manifests as like a, a cold, like something similar to the common cold if you're young and healthy. But there's been people that have been completely asymptomatic, right? Like, I mean, Kevin Durant uh, was just diagnosed yesterday. He said he's completely asymptomatic. Feels oh, fine. my goodness. I had no idea. Yeah. That's for, for, uh Yeah, four Brooklyn Nets players uh, tested positive, including KD. So, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And a couple of them were completely asymptomatic. So Kyrie Irving yeah, didn't test don't positive because he never shows up. You're right. <laughs> if you never, if you stay home every day anyway, then uh, your likelihood of infection is is pretty low. Uh-huh. Uh, he probably also doesn't believe in viruses. Since he doesn't believe <laughs> exactly. That the Earth is round. So yeah, no viruses <laughs> so, are made uh, up. So there. let's let's change gears here. Let's talk about these uh, impending bailouts because bailouts they are coming. They're coming hard and fast, Brad. Um, this week, Congress uh, will be passing an $800 billion stimulus package to help people who have been economically affected uh, by the coronavirus. They'll be bailing out airlines. They'll be giving aid to uh, business owners. Uh, there's also talk about suspending the payroll tax for the duration of 2020. I think that is fantastic. Um, I think we should yeah, make a that lot of companies are permanent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't threaten me with a good time. You have six Pelosi staffers writing this legislation basically in private. And, and no one really knows the full extent of the details yet. Right. That's my main complaint is, listen, I'm going to be able to pick this thing apart as soon as it as soon as it hits, uh, as soon as it uh, gets filed, as soon as it hits the mainstream media, then we're going to be able to really, really pick it apart and see. Right exactly what's going on but right now um you've seen how the house has been opposed to the democrat solutions right of course the democrats will all <laughs> it's so uh it's just the tragedy of being a republican brady i mean it, the democrats will just stuff legislation with full of bad provisions and when republicans inevitably oppose it and say no, this is not, you know, instituting paid sick leave indefinitely is not part of the relief package that we're promising the American people. You're trying to stuff a political agenda down through an emergency spending, uh, through an, an emergency spending and, and, and stimulus package, and we're not going to have it. And as soon as they do that, the Democrats turn, turn to the media and turn to the public and say, well, see, they're not serious about bipartisanship. See, they're politicizing the crisis. We're trying to help you. We're trying – and this has happened time and time time again with these type of stimulus or emergency packages that happened in the wake of Hurricane Sandy. Um, if was it or Storm Sandy? Well, I forget which one it was. The one that hit uh, New Jersey and New York. Regardless, right, right. that the same the same phenomenon happens every freaking time and it drives me up a wall. I know. And the Republicans, it is just the, the sucky thing about being a Republican. I mean, they're they're so browbeaten by the, the press, too. Um, I mean, they're they're like little beaten puppies right the cower in the corner they're so uh used to being beaten up by the press that they'll they'll vote for it they'll prove whatever boondoggle the the democrats put forward because they're just terrified they don't want to like paul ryan they don't want to be accused of wanting to kill grandma or whatever right so they'll, they'll bow to nancy pelosi like they always do and look there's and there's also talk about andrew yang style just writing everybody a check for a thousand bucks that you know, is- i mean there's there's all these all these proposed solutions going around Washington right now. And here's the thing. Like, I'm going to be totally upfront with the audience. I don't know what the right answer is here. Like I, I, like you said, we haven't read the legislation and guys like you and I can, can rip it apart once we have all the facts in front of us. But, uh, you know, I haven't had the time to formulate an opinion yet on what the federal government should do. Like, I don't know. I, one, one distinction I want to make, um, 
about these bailouts is the distinction between this and the 2008 bailouts, right? Like, it, it is, it, they're different in kind, you know? Li- libertarians like myself are just saying, like, no bailouts ever, and, like, I get that. I'm very sympathetic to that uh, argument, but um, this is not like the 2008 bailouts. Like, we bailed out banks in 2008 after these banks bankrupted themselves with their own horrible decision-making, right? right. With, with like, this the, time with around— the US government pre- uh, With the U.S. government precedent that they would be bailed out. That's a key factor as right. well, that, that exactly. bank bailouts throughout the 20th century created an expectation that banks could behave in that manner. Absolutely. And and like you mentioned earlier, this time around, uh, this is solely the fault of the Chinese Communist Party. No one else. I mean, these these business owners that are struggling, these people that, that these bartenders, waitresses, everybody out of work right now, it's of no fault of their own. So it's 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 not the same kind of bailout. The, the bailing these people out, helping these people out, uh, makes a lot more sense than what we did in 2008, obviously. But I don't know. Like, I don't is is Andrew Yang style writing everybody a check for a thousand bucks the right move? I don't know. Is bailing out the airlines the right move? I don't know. Like, I I just don't know what the government should be doing. I they're they're going to spend more than they should. I know that. <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of uh, democratic nonsense in these bills. I know that. But I don't really have a prescription for this. Like I, I don't have the the right answer. There is one thing that you and I both know, though, that if we hadn't racked up to twenty two trillion dollars already, and that we haven't been so reckless with government spending throughout the entire course of the twentieth century, we would be in a much better position to not over leverage our government to be more fiscally responsible while giving the people the access to the funds that they need during an, a legitimate crisis that requires the action of government in, into the economy. That's something that we do know. Let's put it this way. If, you're, if you are a household making the median income, you'd be, putting, you'd be spending per year, right? If, if the, the government compared to a household, if the government was a household with the median income, which was making about $52,000 a year, the government would be spending, or this government household, quote unquote, would be spending $64,000 a year. That $12,000, they'd be putting directly on the credit card while already being 320 some odd thousand dollars in credit card debt. That's how insane the government has acted in the past 70 years. It absolutely blows my mind and it makes us more concerned every single time a crisis like this comes up because we can re- we refuse Republicans and Democrats. We refuse to make the <clears throat> we refuse to make the sacrifices necessary to make sure that our our country is in a good fiscal position so that we can actually do things in times of crisis. That's one thing you and I both know. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about that. And look, in a perfect world uh, I mean, in a perfect world, the coronavirus wouldn't exist. But you know what I mean? Like, obviously, if we had been fiscally responsible, I would have absolutely no problem with these bailouts because the people affected by this have done nothing wrong and they need help. And if we hadn't bailed out the banks for no reason, if we hadn't bailed out the auto industry for no reason, if we hadn't, you know, invaded Iraq for no reason and spent a trillion dollars there, like if we if we if we weren't 23 trillion dollars in debt. I'd have no problem with these. Like, this is the time to bail people out. Like, this is a legitimate reason. But we've used, we, we've screwed the pooch, man. We fucked up. 
Like this, like yeah. it's we're so f- too far gone at this point where I, I don't know. And also with anything, uh, I worry about the precedent it sets. I mean, look, I, I don't know if you start writing every American a check for a thousand bucks, are are the majority of Americans going to be grateful for that and and spend it wisely? Or next month are they going to be wondering why their where their next check for a thousand bucks is? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, is it is it just making people more dependent on government, or it will actually help the people in need? I don't know. And I mean, look, Obama had a free get out of jail free card to spend whatever he wanted because Bush spent whatever he wanted. Yep. I mean, and if if so, what happens when the next Democrats in office, man, they're going to use this as an excuse. Hey, look, Trump bailed out companies. Now I'm going to blow up the national debt, the 40 trillion. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just constantly worried about what the precedent being set is when when the next time the Democrats are in power. Oh, absolutely. And. You know, I'm glad that you circled back to the the thousand dollars for everything uh, point for every American point um, when when you're discussing this type of policy stick stickiness. Policy stickiness is a son of a bitch. I was just listening on my way down from Berkeley uh, on the drive on Monday to a Ben Shapiro Sunday special with Frank Luntz. Frank Luntz is an incredible pollster, and one of the guys in politics that gets it you know there's guys who get it and there's guys who don't get it frank luntz gets it you may like him or hate him for being like hey we need to be you know we need to change the way that we talk about uh the wall right we all we know me and you big wall guys right we love we love the idea of the wall but the wall public opinion right now the the support for it is at 40 percent. if you change it to um barrier and security measures it increases to 60 percent. and if you change change that phrasing to um barriers where necessary with uh, the utilization of technology uh, and infrastructure, <laughs> that public approval rating goes to 79%, and most Democrats support it. Um, so, yeah, the, the so, approval goes. Right, just, yeah, if, just if to you demonstrate use that, that verbiage, yeah, I mean, it's everybody supports that verbiage except for Democratic politicians. Right, right, and and that's and you know that's why he gets it, even though it not, might not be the the Trump rah rah era that he lives in. We live in. He gets it, and he knows. And he was saying in this podcast that. Democrats never met a spending program that they don't like. Why? Because they don't have to go home to the voter and ever, ever explain why they're taking it away. And that's a major concern I have. Furthermore, I'm more I'm more concerned about about the economic impact it will have. Right. It's great that it's great that the SBA and and the federal government is making cash more available for loans um, for businesses, and that you know I'm at this point even some localities banning. Um, evictions for commercial and residential areas. I don't know exactly what the effects of that eviction policy will be yet. We'll have to see how that shakes out because I think it's a fairly new thing. But what I will say is that the the $1,000 to every American isn't going to make much of a difference if no businesses are open. Um, Right. Yes, it will help with some some essential spending needs, um, but it's not going to help unless I think the payroll tax holiday is a much better way to go about it, right? Incentivizing businesses to come back open as soon as they can to give people people um the wage benefit that they needs that they need also businesses are already laying people off because of the 100 plus poverty fighting programs the federal government already has right there already are unemployment benefits and welfare benefits that are that can be appropriated to these people now will we probably have to spend more uh this quarter than than you know any quarter since 2008 on those types of benefits yes that's an inevitability um but but i'm still very very skeptical 
will of the UBI system, especially how um, it's been seen to be less effective than an EIT system that incentivizes people to work. And I honestly think that we're going to have to find out a scheme that puts those incentives back on small businesses to get back to work as soon as possible. Of course, of course, when it's publicly safe. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. And and it, it's, it's all about the president moving forward. Like at, at face value, I don't have a problem with just about anything the Trump administration is doing or proposing. I, I just worry about the future. I, I worry about what happens when that authority is in the, in the hands of the Democrats, you know, with with the because they're saying, you know, write a check to everybody for a thousand bucks. And some people propose two thousand bucks or whatever. And it's not UBI. It's a one time payment. I'm like, OK. What has ever been a one-time like that? That's not how federal. That's not how the federal government operates. I mean, right. you know, federal agencies don't go away. Federal programs don't go away. So I just I worry about the precedent being set. And then on, on that note, you know, governors, including my governor Mike DeWine of Ohio, have taken drastic action. Um, both Democratic and Republican governors have have taken drastic action to spread the to slow the spread of the virus. Obviously. Um, and these actions may be the correct ones, you know, closing schools, closing bars and restaurants, uh, stuff like that. They, they might be the right decisions. But again, even if they are, like even if even if even if I would do the same thing in, in Mike DeWine's shoes, I don't know if I would or not. But and maybe he's making all the right calls. I'm not sure. But again, the precedent moving forward. I mean, Democrats love authoritarianism, and I'm terrified that they'll use the actions being taken now to as an excuse to destroy civil liberties the next time around. Or heck, even if there isn't a crisis nearly as bad as what we're facing right now, they can always use their operatives and the press to create the narrative that we're in a crisis just like this crisis and then use that to curtail uh, individual liberties and freedoms. So, it's, I mean, you've already seen Democratic mayors, the mayor of uh, uh, <coughs> Champlain, Illinois, the mayor of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, have outlawed the, the sale of firearms during the coronavirus crisis because why because <laughs> I, I don't know because they, they're tyrannical monsters I, I assume so i mean you're already seeing democrats using these drastic measures as an excuse to be authoritarian you know so i i'm just terrified that that everything mike dewine does everything president trump does will be used as an excuse by democrats in the future i i think there is legitimate concerns there even though it's it's within in their their purview um, to make to make these calls, um, Democrats have been upfront about this. Obviously, the the crisis, the quote unquote crisis that comes to mind is climate change, right? This this that's that's the type exactly. of crisis that comes to mind um, when you're talking about exactly. a crisis that would severely curtail civil liberties um, and make and have huge economic impacts. Um, throughout the country, not just in isolated geographical areas um, where the states would implement these types of policies. Um, and, and you know, thank God that there are a lot of uh, able and willing lawyers um, who are going to be defending civil li liberties uh, ardently throughout this time because there is a, a definite amount of concern for that. Um, it is in these governor's purview. Um, I support the decision by Right. You're going to treat a state like Colorado much different than a state like California. It's what the founding fathers understood. It's why we have a federal system. Right. It's why we have it's why we have um, a lot of power designated to the states and the powers designated to the, to the federal government um, are fairly limited, um, even though, you know, a majority of case law in the United States is incorrect and in saying that actually the power of the federal government is much, much larger than it actually is. Yada, yada, yada. You know the drill. Um, right, right. <clears throat> I'm for these types of 
quarantine measures when you're talking about a city like New York, when you're talking about a city like Los Angeles or San Francisco, right? It makes sense in New York, makes sense in California, makes sense in Texas somewhat, right? With large uh, metropolitan centers like Dallas and Austin that are large travel hubs as well, large business travel hubs. That's a that's a big key as well, given that it's, it's coming from abroad predominantly uh, now from Europe, but formerly from China, right? Um, you're not going to treat Colorado the same way. Denver doesn't nearly have uh, that sc- that that magnifying glass on as these major urban areas do, uh, do. And hopefully this is you know a two week period. And we're sitting here in May saying like, wow, crisis averted. Thank God. Weather weather's warming up. Um, the, the the flow of the cases is already rescinding, and it will continue to rescind given to warm weather. Um, but yeah, I I think that that some of these measures definitely do make sense in order for that these uh, regional and geographically isolated, um, you know, right? Like it's, you're not going to get the same, I'm sorry, you're not going to get the same healthcare treatment in Fresno and in Bakersfield as you will in Los Angeles and making sure that the Los Angeles healthcare system isn't overwhelmed should be, should be the primary um, concern of mayors and governors right now. And I I think that this social distancing policy uh, works towards that. Obviously we're always concerned about precedence. Um, We, have to be concerned about precedents, but as George Will famously says, there is no safe ground in politics, and and that's a fight that we have to be willing to fight and take up immediately, um, if that's the case. I think that it's absurd that some mayors have been re- uh, restricting the sale of firearms during this time. Um, I think that the Second Amendment uh, is clearly laid out as uh, essential business. Uh, um, that's that would probably be the regulation that these mayors and governors are using to s- suspend the sale of firearms. Right? It's quote non-essential business. Okay. Well, what happens if this thing really does get bad? And looting goes through the roof. You, you, you know, it's it's not impossible in Oakland. It's not impossible in New Orleans. It's not impossible in Los Angeles. It's not impossible in in all these other major, you know, Baltimore, for example. It's not impossible. Um, people need to have the access to buy a firearm if they need to defend themselves um, against against looters if this thing gets really, really bad because that's what people will turn to when they are in poverty. Um, and we've seen this time and time again, borne out in the data. They turn to crime. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and I encourage everybody listening right now to go buy more guns and ammo. Um, one more point before I let you go, man. Um, obviously, I don't agree with everything uh, that the Trump administration's done. I, in the last couple weeks, they've been doing a, a very good job, uh, I believe. And like you mentioned, he did fumble the ball a couple times early on. But um, just one more point before I let you go. Can you imagine Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders handling this crisis? I mean, like— Holy crap. <laughs> that is like a legitimate communist or a man like Joe Biden who, let's just say, is not all there mentally at this point in his in, in his life. Um, I think uh, if you're deciding who to vote for in November, imagine Joe Biden in the White House right now. Imagine Bernie Sanders in the White House right now. And, and your decision, it, it, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Absolutely. I mean, and you saw that last night, Bernie Sanders calling for $2,000 for every American family every month until this this uh, crisis subsides. You see Joe Biden continuing to compare the coronavirus to H1N1 and Ebola. Um, yes, uh, the government did some things in H1N1 and Ebola, but uh, I don't think that that's the best example to use, Joe Biden, because you guys were way more behind the ball than the Trump administration um, was and is, and the H1N1 death rate was 0.02%, right, and it affected over a million right. uh, 
over it was it over a million Americans or over a million worldwide? That's a that's an important statistic that I don't want to mess up. It was several. It was several million worldwide. I I know that uh over uh twelve thousand Americans died from it. Yeah, over twelve thousand Americans, more than uh a million Americans got infected from the swine flu. Um, stop tooting that horn, Joe Biden. Not you know that's not demonstrating your confidence. However, the media is more than willing to to uh run cover for these Democrats candidates and and that one thing that I do want to point out right George W Bush had incredibly high approval ratings whatever you think of him as a president it's undeniable that early on in his presidency through the middle of his presidency he had phenomenal approval ratings when the media decided to uh, oppose the interventions in the Middle East which obviously there is very legitimate grounds for. I'm not, you know, one of those guys that want to go talk about the Iraq war all the time. Um, hate talking about it actually, um, for good reasons. Um, but when they started talking about that, they realized something very, very crucial, right? Right now, the country needs a uniter. Now that's not built into Trump's DNA. Everyone knows that. But if you never give, if the media never gives a president the chance to be, they can't by default. That's what the media realized during the George W. Bush presidency, that the media can control whether or not a president is considered a uniter. Now, the media went after Reagan all of the time, but when Reagan tore down that wall, the media was pretty damn happy about it, and you're not going to see that type of appreciation or respect granted to this president, and you're not, you know, even if he wanted to, to be his best presidential self, the media will not let him be a uniter. And that's something very, very important um, to realize that there is a difference between the editorializing going on in the mainstream media and the scientific reporting. So stay, stay, stay close to the scientific reporting. In fact, just visit the CDC. CDC has an entire COVID-19 page that is lists and lists long of different, uh, different informational bits that can get you caught up on everything. Um, you know, don't, don't trust the fake news. Uh, when it comes to the president's handling of the situation for the reasons that you and I have already outlined and several more. I mean, Laura Ingram had a fantastic, fantastic angle last night. And I'm not, not even a big Laura Ingram, Ingram fan, but she had a fantastic angle last night talking about what we do know and what we don't know about the coronavirus. Um, so so th- those, are, those are the main takeaways I'm getting from the coronavirus. Obviously, we have to talk about the press. Obviously, we have to talk about China. And thank God for Tom Cotton for taking it to China, hopefully after this. And... Uh, Moving forward, obviously, we're going to have to talk about the recession that it's creating and hopefully a quick economic rebound. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't have said better myself. But a lot of other podcasters, a lot of other shows have already begun discussing what effect this will have on the election in November. And I am not anywhere close to like, – I'm not going – I might start talking about that in like July. Because I have no earthly idea, one way or the other, how this is going to affect you know Trump's reelection chances. Like I, I don't think we're anywhere close to even being able to formulate a guess on, on what effect this is going to have. So I'm not, I'm not willing to go there at this point. Yeah, well, I, the, I'm, I'm hesitant to go there. What I will say is I've seen some, some, uh, tweets from economists saying that real GDP growth this, this quarter is projected to be, um negative 10%, which is absolutely insane to think about. Um, worst economic quarter since 2008. I mean, that's absolutely atrocious, but quarter three pro- projected growth rates is 4%. Quarter four projected growth rates is 5%. Um, obviously, 
that doesn't give it get us back up to uh, the baseline because if you're taking a smaller percentage from us or if you're taking a smaller percentage from a smaller total, um, it's it's not getting us back to where we want, once were. But if the if the economy can make a turnaround resurgence, um, which which you know is certainly still up in the air, uh, given given how, how this this thing might spread. And how long we're all uh, stuck quarantining, and me and you are stuck podcasting. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's really going to be a determinant. I mean, I said uh, at CPAC when I was interviewed, what what can beat Donald Trump come November? And I said himself and the coronavirus. That's about it. Um, so, you know, for the sake of this country, let's not hope that uh, it falls into Joe Biden's hands because of something that's completely uh, out of the out of control of the administration um who has done the best that they can to right the wrongs they've that they've made um and and moving forward actually have a, a plan of attack in going after this thing and coordinating with with localities and state governments as well um you know even even drawing praise from andrew cuomo um the the, the just smarter of the the cuomo brothers uh who is governor of new york right now right getting getting praise from from democratic governors is is a good way for him to uh uh signal to the public that he's actually doing good work on this it'll make good campaign ads <laughs> i know that. i know that for sure yep. um yeah man thank, thanks for thanks for coming on we'll definitely do it again soon everybody follow brad on twitter at bradley devlin everybody please subscribe to the elephant in the room podcast it's a great show that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i'll be back on monday no gimmicks <laughs>